Coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast, a common question is, well, is you know, red meat bad for you? Uh, mm. what, what would you say to a client that, said, that would ask you that question? Um, so the first thing I say when we start talking about food, especially if it's someone who I think is really indoctrinated into that idea, is that you're not going to like what I have to tell you. Because it's alarming and and scary to hear from a doctor that, hey, what you've been told for the last 30, 40 years are just, is just wrong. Um, but that's the truth. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed Dr. Gary Schleifer. He's a board-certified internal medicine physician specializing in preventative care, nutrition, and anti-aging medicine. We discuss many topics around our healthcare system, disease prevention, and how to live optimally through a sapient lifestyle. We also touched on five pillars of being a happy human, we talked about red meat, cholesterol, also got into his morning ritual, and much, much more. So I know you'll enjoy this episode. I did. Enjoy, and thanks so much for listening. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and my guest today is Dr. Gary Schliffer, and he is a board-certified internal medicine physician specializing in preventative care, nutrition, metabolism, and anti-aging medicine. He's also the founder of Evolve Healthcare, which is in LA, and they do a bunch of stuff, but a multi-specialty integrative medicine clinic, and we're going to talk about more of what they do. He also helped co-found Sapien, um, which is an organization focused on promoting health education, advancing health information technology. So uh, welcome on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh Got a bunch to talk about today, but before we get into that, why don't you maybe just give us some background of your journey uh, into health and helping others? Yeah, I mean, um, so I was trained as a, you know, internal medicine physician. I um, went to medical school, kind of eyes wide open, ready to be a doctor. Um, little did I know that they were going to train me to to basically only treat disease and and not not prevent disease and not maintain health. Um, kind of as I went through my training, I really developed a passion for end of life care, which might sound odd for some of you listening, but for me, focusing all of my energy on just treating disease never made any sense. And end of life care is a place where I actually um, was able to help people in a meaningful way and, and really and really affect people and their family in a positive way. Um, over the last about four or five years, working uh, with Brian Sanders of Food Lies and my Sapien team, we've developed you know a program that I'm really proud of, and, and it is focused on lifestyle medicine. It's focused on teaching people how to eat um, at its heart, it's teaching people how to eat, but it's really teaching people how to live in a modern world, uh, live a healthy lifestyle and not you know, be dependent on pharmaceuticals, be dependent on treating their disease, but rather preventing it. Um, and I think that's best done through lifestyle medicine. 
Um, you mentioned the word integrative medicine, which is another way of, of thinking about what I do in the sense that I've not shunned my training. I, I believe, you know, a lot of the tools I've learned are very powerful and, and certainly there's a role for pharmaceuticals, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the integration is really my ancestral approach to health combined with the Western medicine strategies that I was trained to use. So that's kind of where, where I'm at now. And, and we're working really hard. My clinic, uh, I have a clinic in Los Angeles, um, called Evolve Healthcare. Um, and that's a full medical practice where we, as you mentioned, um, do a lot of different things, but, but I definitely practice integrative medicine there and, and, and heal people. And I'm very proud of that. (laughs) And, um, yeah. And that's kind of, you know, my, my two main projects the Sapien and Evolve. And I do a couple other things on the side, trying to, trying to help people, but, but that's really where my practice has, has evolved into. Yeah. I mean, you talk about like the future of healthcare um, and like a clinic like yourselves, like Evolve uh, really, I, I would hope would, would you see these more popping up here and there, um, hopefully more in Chicago. I know in, in LA, do you, do you see that being the future um, of medicine? I hope so. Yeah. You know, I think that the challenges are huge for a doctor to to gain a foothold and have a private practice and really drive their own kind of practice. I think I'm lucky in that I have a huge support system. My mom is a doctor. Uh, my parents really pushed me to leave the sort of for lack of a better word, corporate world. Um, but I, I definitely worked for a hospital organization for the first few years after residency. And, and I was definitely trained to be an employee. No one ever showed me how to run a business, bill insurance, any of the subtle intricate things that you'd need to understand to successfully run a practice. So I've sort of had to teach myself. And again, I, I credit my parents for pushing me and, and guiding me through that process. Um, but also, you know, uh, the Sapien uh, team, but by giving me a, a unique platform to sort of teach people, it's helped me expand my practice. So I, to answer your question, I don't know. Um, I don't know that there's a lot of clinics doing what I'm doing. I know there's a lot of maybe like naturopathic physicians. There's, there's older folks that have gone through regular Western medicine and, and moved into what we call functional medicine, which is a pretty popular kind of avenue for Western medicine doctors to take once they realize that there's more to it than just pharmaceuticals. But I don't know, you know, you you see companies like forward and next health who are kind of biohackers or or they have fancy equipment and they try to make everything a little more digital and, and a little, you know, more streamlined, but, but I don't really know that, that there's a big movement to, to really manage patients in a non-disease oriented model, right? Like, I don't know that that's true. Um, I still think that that lives in these communities, like, you know, your listeners, our listeners on Sapien podcast and peak human, but um, you know, I, I know here's what I definitely know that there's, there is an appetite for it. Also, no pun intended. There's 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 people out there that that are seeing through. You know, they go to their doctor every year, get told to eat a low fat diet. They don't do well. They go back. They're like, oh, you're not listening to me. Here's drugs. Eat a low fat diet. Eat a balanced diet. And and I think eventually people figure it out. And they're like, mm, there's more to it than that. And and whether they go and find a naturopathic physician or functional medicine physician or someone like myself who sort of uh, gone on their own to find a way to help people. 
it's out there. I don't know if it's gaining pot. I don't know that there's like a ton of money in it either. Right. And, and if you take the kind of functional medicine route, uh, most of those doctors are, are asking a lot of money, right? Like each visit is very expensive and that, that really limits the access so at Evolve, I've taken the approach where I take health insurance mm-hmm. and um, I even take an HMO that I work with that I got a good contract with. And for now, at least I, I try to create access to me and my team um, in as many avenues as I can. And, and it's not about making money. It's about having a sustainable business, right? Like I have to make some money, oh, yeah. um, but, but it's, about, it's about building a community. And, and uh, again, like at Evolve, um, with the sapien thing, it's all starting to really turn into that. And, you know, we have something called the sapien tribe, which kind of opens up the door to people from around the world to talk to us and our health coaches. So, you know, just doing what I can to create access to someone who understands what we're talking about, which is, you know, lifestyle medicine. Right. Like preventative care. And, uh, you're seeing this on a daily basis. What, what would you say, um, uh, like the biggest, the biggest things that help impact people's lives, obviously you talk about, you know, eating right, working out, things like that. But um, what, what's the most common issues co- you come across and then how, what's a good way of pre- preventing that? Yeah. So when I talk about being a happy, healthy human, um, and I talk about this with all, any patient that's willing to listen and, and some people don't want to hear it, right? Some people show up and they're like, give me my cholesterol drug. I'm worried about my LDL. And I'm like, okay, fine but whatever you want, you know, cause I try to meet people where they're at. Um, but I, I have like my five pillars of being a happy, healthy person and that's food movement, stress management, um, sun exposure and sleep. And I would say that those five things are where most people are, are missing the mark. Um, a lot of folks, you know, we have a lot of education about exercise. So a lot of people have that movement piece worked out. Nowadays, a little more difficult with the gyms closed and all, but, but still, I think people understand that. But, but certainly, there's not a focus on, um, there's definitely not a focus on stress management strategies. It's mm-hmm. not something I, you know, we talk, we, we, we often say, you know, on these podcasts that, oh, you know, a doctor gets about four hours of nutrition education. Well, we get zero hours on stress management education, right? <laughs> like, that's not a thing, right? right? We don't talk about mindfulness anywhere. And I think that's very important. Uh, sleep hygiene and sleep strategies and, and supplementation and different things you can do for sleep. Huge, 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 uh, you know, point that I talk about, like we can talk about it today, but it's just so important, you know, and then people are often surprised when they see sun on there. And I'm like, well, don't be surprised. You're a solar powered creature. You're supposed to be outside. You're supposed to be making natural vitamin D. I believe vitamin D is, is, is one of these sort of, it's an obvious one and yet so contentious, you know, it's, it's, it's a pro hormone that, that changes your whole physiology and, and it never used to be an issue because humans would be outside regularly working, whatever, doing everything, not anymore. And it's been a long time. And, and so, you know, um, I, I, that's where, you know, supplementation is really important. I think, I came out of training thinking, oh, supplements, you know, you're making expensive urine, just like everyone else, you know, the, these common concept misconceptions about nutrition and, and supplementation and lifestyle. And, you know, vitamin D is one of those that I, I, I really promote the supplementation of vitamin D because it's hard to get people in the sun. 
So, so that's something really important. Um, but then obviously the heart of it is, is the food is the food. And, and many people come to my clinic or, or reach out to us and they, they feel like they have it figured out whether they've jumped, jumped on the carnivore um, sort of movement um, whether they're trying keto and it works for them. It works for some people. It really does. doesn't work for everyone. Um, or they're, you know, they've been doing paleo and paleo is a great strategy that really incorporates a lot of good ideas. Um, I don't really think most people have a grasp on the whole nutrition sort of scope of it. And with Sapien, what we try to do is teach people how to fish um, by understanding why something like keto does work and doesn't work. Why something like paleo makes sense. Um, and, uh, you know, our program overlaps with many of these concepts, but I think we have a unique approach in that we integrate all of these different sort of nutritional approaches so that you can find the one that works for you and you don't have to be in a camp. I'm a carnivore or I'm keto. Like you don't need to do all that. Sometimes you're carnivore. Sometimes you're pescatarian. Sometimes you just want to have some vegetables, but when you do, you want to eat those thoughtfully and understand what you're putting in your body and, and how those, you know, vegetables or animal products were procured and prepared. Mm -hmm. So, so that's kind of my thing is really want to like get people to understand the nuts and bolts of it and challenge them to expect more from themselves. You know, you can't mindlessly go through the store and grab whatever looks good. Uh, You are susceptible to the bullshit advertising and, and manipulation that these companies are, are definitely um, participating in. So, you know, in order to do that, you got to learn it's, it's, you've got to be motivated. Um, There's a million ways to do that. These podcasts is how I learned so much of what I, uh, you know, promote, Uh, but there's books, you know, we have a program, other people have programs, Um, you know, there's just, there's different ways to do this. And it's, we're, it's just a very small community, you know, compare us to the plant-based community and there's just not met that many of us. So, right. Yeah, no, for sure. And, um, you know, for me, I, I got into like intermittent fasting and there, there's a community that's been growing, but you know, there's no, you know, no one makes money when you fast. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, a lot of times, um, the, I'm, I'm assuming the trainings that you got for being just a, a general practitioner, um, was backed by a lot of deep pockets uh, pharmaceutical companies and things like that. Would you think that like changing how doctors are being trained is the first step? That's the dream step. Yeah. So like if, if it could be the first step and I had the platform and, and there were the the ears were open. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the step that will ultimately affect the most people. So I think that, and I love that you asked that question because I think in a way that's where Sapien that's our, you know, our mission is to educate the educators. And I think if we can do that, if we can create a, a platform that really makes sense intellectually to those people, um, and it makes sense in a, in an education way in the, in the sense that, okay, if, if you're, if you're carnivore and I love carnivore, but if you're just promoting carnivore, it's a very narrow focus. And I don't think a major institution is ever going to just like jump on it and start promoting carnivore. But if carnivore is packaged within a framework where you're like, Hey, what is the ultimate elimination diet? We all understand that an elimination diet is probably an essential tool to help people Mm -hmm. Um, because, because food allergies and and just, you know, toxins in our food system are are a big deal. Right. Um, I think that when you package carnivore in that way, 
you could bring that to, to doctors and, and doctors in training. Um, I have some colleagues uh, that I'm very close with at University of New Mexico. And for the last year, we've been working to try to figure out how to incorporate the Sapien Diet and Lifestyle Program into their, at least their residence education. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's challenging because, you know, there's evidence that goes both ways. And as it is, you know, the, the Western medicine education system is very anchored to these old ideas of the balanced diet, the DASH diet, the Mediterranean diet, all these old ideas driven by, you know, epidemiological evidence, which isn't great evidence. And what we're promoting is anchored in research, but also in some common sense understanding of our ancestry and our history as human beings. And, and that's a tough pill to swallow for uh, education institutions because everything that I was taught is made less than a hundred years old and is like driven by this evidence-based medicine model. And again, not, not here to poo-poo evidence-based medicine, but to say that it is one tool of teaching people. It is a great tool. It's really good to judge whether or not one drug or one treatment protocol is better than another. Um, it, it can do that, but, but to justify intermittent fasting, for example, it's going to be very challenging to do that, even though it obviously works, it's obviously safe, and it's obviously consistent with our physiology. But how do you prove that? Well, doing feeding studies is very, very, very challenging. We know that. Uh, that being said, in the last few years, there's been some really great stuff come out. Uh, specifically, I always re refer to the Verda Health studies on type 2 diabetes and using a low-carb, whole foods-based diet with intermittent fasting to really reverse metabolic disease, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, but again, that, that kind of stuff is ignored. And, and when you go to an organization uh, like the one I'm talking about, it, you really have to convince them. Um, what I'm doing on my end is uh, using using that 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 protocol and having awesome results. Uh, now again, other people have done it. They've done it with even more people that I'm doing it with. It got, it gets ignored. It, it's hard to convince. But I think that you know uh, it only takes one meaningful uh, moment where you can really show that it's effective. Um, it only takes one good article, maybe one good doctor that gets on TV one day, right. you know, you know, I'm ready to go. Like that's what mm -hmm. I'm here for is, um, you know, I'm, I try to like really think about using words and using um, communication. That's not so divisive, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not s sitting here poo-pooing any particular strategy, but we have to put it all together in order to help people. And, and I think that that's what we're trying to do. Uh, at least that's, that's what we believe we're doing. And, and I know that there's a lot of doctors that support us. Again, my friends are that work there are really pushing to get us involved. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think one day it will happen. I don't know if yeah. that's this year or five years from now or 10 years from now, who knows, but we're going to keep trying. Yeah. Well, you know, more clinics like yourself that pop up, I think, and just people vote with their dollars, you know, they, they, if they really want to be preventative and get ahead of the issue instead of waiting till something happens. And then, you know, then they have to rely on Western medicine more. Um, cause it, like you said, there's a time and place for it, but, um, you know, you want to be proactive. And, um, I think, you know, the more podcasts that are out there and things, and, and it's just, it becomes more mainstream, you know? 
It's coming. I mean, it's coming and, and we're going to, we're, we're trying to lead the fight and I, and it is a fight because everything I say every time, I don't even have that much of a following yet, but every time I say something, it gets challenged and attacked. And my approach is uh, I'm not going to fight back. I'm going to be thoughtful and share my ideas. But in the end of the day, we're fighting. We're fighting with a huge, huge misunderstanding of what human nutrition should look like. And, and, Right. It takes all of us. It takes you. It takes me. It takes all of our colleagues out there. And I know we're all having each other on each other's podcasts. And yeah, that's what <laughs> we have to do. We have to do that because, yeah. you know, uh, there's a lot of money in um, grains. There's a lot of money in seed oils. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of money in shitty food products that are really, uh, you know, marketed as health products. They're marketed as real human food and it's not. Right. And and, and that's tough for people to hear. Okay. So, um, I know you mentioned, uh, the five pillars of a hat was it five pillars of a happy human, happy, healthy human. Yeah. I, I wanted to just come back to this because he said it fast. And I just wanted you to say it one more time with sleep, stress, sun, food, and, and movement. Well, I did nutrition and movement. I say movement because I say movement because exercise can be scary to people. And again, I'm not here to scare people off. I think you can go out and take a brisk 30 minute walk where you get a sweat, you get some sun exposure mm-hmm. and you've knocked out two of the pillars for the day. And so there, it's very, very simple to do these five things. Um, Brian came up with the term. It's like ancestral hacking something like that. But the idea is we're trying to replicate the experience of our hunter gatherer ancestors. And if we evolved over millions of years to succeed in one kind of environment, and now in a very short period of time, we've created this sort of abnormal environment that's making us unhealthy, then we can we can reframe our perception and instead of trying to drive disease out with drugs and surgery, like the allopathic model, um, we can find our homeostasis and find our body's natural ability to heal itself and find balance by hacking those lifestyle components that we've essentially forgotten about. And that's what those five things are. And it's interesting. I had to take a little pause because of my dogs. But if, if you think of dogs and how they can sort of address three of these things right off the bat, because stress, for sure, you know, sun, right, getting out and, and then moving, you know, walking, I always talk about getting up and going for a walk after you eat, or when you get up first thing in the morning. And it's like, you know, it just hit me. I'm like, well, a dog can really address three of the five. <laughs> That's why there's, there's research that shows that people with dogs are happier, mm-hmm. they live longer, and they have less chronic disease. Yeah. Now, is that going to be related to the love and interpersonal, con- interpersonal interspecies mm-hmm. relationship that you have? Uh, that's certainly a factor. But I think it's what you're saying. I think it, it, it exposes you to more normal life, right? We're also in this like hyper clean, um, sort of like guarding ourselves from all pathogens mentality. And that's not, that's not the way we evolved. We are evolved in conjunction with the dirt in our backyards because we used to live in that backyard. 
-hmm. Now we live on the cement block and we don't want to let our feet touch the dirt because it's gross. It's not right. Right. So I think a dirt, the dog really does so many things to reconnect us with our hunter gatherer origins. Um, It's so powerful. Uh, I personally, I got a dog. I wanted a dog my whole life. Mm -hmm. Got a dog this last year uh, during this whole pandemic. And he, he's a, he's a blessing. I mean, he, he reminds us what, what makes us happy. He gets us outside when we're not feeling so good. Mm -hmm. He makes us smile. He makes us run around and play. Um, and you know, I come home from a tough day dealing with really frustrated patients and I've got this smiling little guy that's ready to go outside and go for a little run. And it's like, I don't even have to try and my pillars are knocked off. You know, I, I eat a sapien diet. I make sure I sleep and the rest of it just happens because I I'm living a life that's, that's, that's like full, you know, and it's not just sitting and staring at some news feed telling me all the scary stuff that's going on in the world. That's not healthy. Right. No, I, I agree. I, I have one and I just got a second. So um, I've, we've got, it's not even, it's pretty still in the morning here and I've gone on two walks already. <laughs> so it's, 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 I know with the pandemic, a lot of dogs have been going, you know, which is yeah. great. a lot of dogs are being adopted that need homes. And, you know, that's a whole nother topic, but that's been, that's been sort of a, a positive from all of this, uh, these dogs being adopted. Um, but let's touch on the two other pillars since we already figured out, Hey, get a dog, you'll get three out of the five done. Why don't we hit a little bit on food? And, you know, a common question is, well, is, you know, red meat bad for you? Uh, mm. what, what would you say to a client that said that would ask you that question? Um, so the first thing I say when we start talking about food, especially if it's someone who I think is really indoctrinated into that idea, is that you're not going to like what I have to tell you. Because it's alarming and and scary to hear from a doctor that, hey, what you've been told for the last 30, 40 years are just, is just wrong. Um, but that's the truth. And I started off like, like that because you, you have to accept and embrace that, or at least open your mind to the possibility that the nutrition recommendations as they stand are wrong. I, uh, I then gauge based on the person. So we can take the evidence-based route and start talking about the epidemiological research that was done uh, on on meat in general and and red meat specifically, and dispel the the efficacy of that research. And and then you have to have someone who's willing to think about an epidemiological study versus like an observational study or a randomized control study. Right, that's not always the best route. Then we can talk about saturation, fat, and cholesterol and the diet heart hypothesis and the history of how that came to be mm-hmm. and dispel that myth, which was, you know, which is basically a history lesson. And I don't know if we want to get into all that, but basically, you know, there is a battle of wits to, you know, and, and there was uh, some that argued that cholesterol and fat caused heart disease because heart disease was this big trigger in, in the fifties and sixties. Um, and, 
And we can talk about how over the last decade, more and more research is showing that there is no association with any kind of disease process when it comes to eating red meat. And then talk about all this new, very exciting research, talking about the benefits and essential, the essentialness of uh, cholesterol and saturated fat in your diet to be healthy. Then we can talk about physiology and the fact that your brain is made of cholesterol and saturated fat and your skin and that every hormone in your body is built around a cholesterol backbone and that to vilify cholesterol and to presume that eating cholesterol drives cholesterol into your arteries and plaques is just simple thinking that has not been justified by research. Um, right. And then you can take the ancestral argument and say that, well, you cannot survive on plant food alone. And if you look at someone in the bush, in the jungle, someone in a survival situation, what are, what, what are the components of life that it comes down to? Water, some salt, and which can be a plant source, and then meat, but specifically fat, mm. right? So you can't survive in just pure protein. You need fat. So when you look at survivalists and people that are like really – living off the land it's fat that is like the number one cherished commodity so so there's all of these different angles and yeah. it just depends i think on the person and why it's such a nuanced conversation and i i generally don't go down the you know well meat meat was vilified by the Seventh-day Adventist church. And that was very much involved in our, you know, the development of our food recommendations. And that really, this is a religious argument that is anchored in all sorts of craziness. Um, and by the way, none of this is a conspiracy because you could go on Wikipedia and look up the Seventh-day Adventist church and how they were involved in driving red meat out of our diet. Mm -hmm. It's so many layers, right? So, I think the first step for anyone listening is to accept that it, the recommendations are bad and that that myth, the red meat myth is just that the fiber myth is just a myth. Eating all this fiber is not good for anyone. Um, that a plant-based diet or plants, fruits and vegetables are so healthy for you. That's a myth guys. Like, I'm sorry. And that's a tougher one for people to swallow. People still right. struggle with it. Even people in our space struggle with that. Mm -hmm. I know people that recommend eating red meat and then still talk about eating the rainbow. And I'm like, so you have a rainbow when you're a hunter gatherer, you just had a rainbow fruits and vegetables in your backyard. You had a backyard. Like, what are you talking about? This is all driven by um, modern agricultural practices. So, you know, I think the fun part for me is to try to get someone's brain, get their perspective to that moment where we discovered agriculture, we started using agriculture and drive their brain to the fact that we subsisted and exist and thrived and dominated the planet for such a long time without agriculture. And, and what did that look like? And, and that's a fun place, I think, to start because I don't think you can, you can ignore that it's, it's pretty, it's just, it's common knowledge. I mean, again, if you don't believe in evolution, I suppose, then that's a whole different conversation, but I've never faced that issue. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the different angles I take. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, you know, I was in the boat for a while where I was, I was never like a vegetarian, but very heavy with the veggies. Every day I would have like this big salad, and I'd have put a piece of protein on it. I was, I got away from meat for a while. Anyways, 
actually since the pandemic started, I don't know why that sort of triggered me to get into, I guess I was listening to more and more podcasts, uh, you know, Paul Saladino, guys like this and started reading up on it, realizing that, you know, I'm an active guy, but I, I feel like I'm missing, I'm missing a lot of things with, you know, red meat and, you know, I'm, I'm an animal guy too. So I, I you know, I, I got away from it partly because of, you know, well, is it humane? Um, and I realized that you can get, you know, grass fed, grass finished, like humanely raised regenerative farming, you know, like good sustainable, um, practices out of, from farms that are doing it right. And I think that's that those, you know, those are the farms that we need to sort of keep going, right. So getting people to realize that, you know, there's, there's a right way to raise an animal and, um, and then use it as nutrition. Yeah. And, and I, you know, another point I make to people um, when they're when we're having that vegetarian, vegan versus you know sort of an animal-based diet argument is, if your if your reason for being vegan or vegetarian or plant-based is because of farming practices, then being vegan or vegetarian or plant-heavy does not you don't bypass a, a, a negative and and harmful food system. The way you support a a healthy food system is regenerative agriculture. And that's whether that's plants or animals, you have to understand agriculture. And when you understand regenerative agriculture, you realize that it's both. It's, it's, it's not one or the other support, just buying plant products uh, for most people. That means you're buying a lot of Monsanto corn. You're buying a lot of wheat. You're eating a lot of soybean oil and it's really, really bad for you. And if you're just going to stick to local uh, organic plant products, then you're fine. But that's not the reality for most people. That's mm -hmm. not, it's, it's, it's a bit of a fantasy. Um, and I think that any farmer that's going to be doing farming right is going to be raising plants and animals in a sustainable, thoughtful, and loving way. And so you don't need to be vegan or vegetarian to support animal like uh, to or to to yeah to support healthy uh, raising of animals and plants mm -hmm. and, and that's the thing is you have to understand that the the corn that you're buying is just as susceptible to being like treated poorly as the cow like if you're buying gmo corn that's covered in roundup you're not buying anything that's good for you or good for the planet Right. And so when I see someone buying a Beyond Burger or one of these fake meat products that's full of seed oils, full of GMO uh, plants, uh, full of processing and chemicals that are just unnatural, mm -hmm. like these people are missing the whole point. And it's not that they're, they're manipulated or, or they're not spending the time to do the research and, and understand how to do what it is that they're trying to do. And, and so... I really try to come at those folks from a loving place because I think our heart is in the same place. I think our goals are the same, right. but you know, to, to see a documentary on Netflix and then change your whole eating strategy around it, not have any physician guidance, not understand the boxed products you're buying. Um, it's, it's foolish. So, so you've got to be thoughtful. You've got to understand and you've got to challenge yourself to get educated. Right. And there's so much out there, right? It's like, there's so almost too, you know, is it too much education to some degree, right? You can over be, you could be confused. And that's why I like sort of your simplistic 
route is like, you know, I have my 10 principles. I talked about like my first podcast that I did, and then you have your five, your five pillars. And when you keep it sort of simple like this, um, it, it, you know, it makes it attainable for individuals to, uh, better their health. And, um, Another thing I wanted to sort of get into a little bit was your routine and sort of your daily eating habits. I'm always curious. Um, what's your, I'm, I'm a big morning ritual guy, although it's been changed a little bit. So now I have two dogs, um, <laughs> just a little bit, but, uh, what's, what's your morning ritual and, and how do you go about with your daily eating habits as well? So I'm big on rituals and habits, and that's how you stick to being healthy is doing kind of some things over and over and over again, because that's, that's how you're going to change your body slowly in your mind. Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's talk about food first. So yeah. I follow a sapien lifestyle. So we have principles for that too. So those five principles that we talked about, I know a lot of folks have similar things and it's because there is a war of information and everyone's trying to battle to like help people and educate people. So we all have our own things. Um, I, uh, I, I, I don't really think about those five because I live a lifestyle that is consistent with those. Right. Um, but for food, th this is the heart of my approach to food. Um, intermittent fasting is a misnomer. It, it is a baseline. So for me, 16, eight method You've all heard about that. I'm sure listening to your podcast based on what you're telling me. Um, 16, eight method. I don't say 16, eight fasting. I call it the method because to me, that is baseline. That is not, that is not a fast. That is what everyone should be doing. We should be teaching people from very young age that you don't need to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that stuffing your face first thing in the morning with carbs is not a good idea. Mm -hmm. Some people can do different strategies, but most people don't need to eat so often. I eat six to eight hours a day, seven days, six or seven days a week, one or two days a week. I will throw in an OMAD day. Mm -hmm. um, I think OMAD is a great strategy to really boost your metabolism and keep you fresh. Um, then a couple times a month, I'll eat all day. I'll be mm -hmm. honest with you. I say that. I don't know that I actually do it that much. I think sometimes like I'll just have day. a- Like a cheat yeah, day. Yeah, people, I, I say that, but I think a lot of the time, sorry, I'm sorry clipping here. Um, a lot of the time, um, I end up eating like a really big breakfast cause I love my big breakfast. And mm -hmm. then I don't really, um, you fall asleep. I don't really, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I don't really end up having that big dinner or that big lunch. I just, I end up like feeling satisfied. And right. so I, I think fasting, however you want to call it is the, like the heart of my diet right. in my day to day. And I am not beholden to food. I, I am able to go without food for a long period of time without feeling weird. I actually start thinking faster and being more sharp. Now, when you start working out a lot, you know, you got to be a little more thoughtful about when you eat. Mm -hmm. um, so I eat that that's, that's a basic part of my day. Um, I, I focus all of my meals on protein. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I will have a carnivore day. I'll have a carnivore week where I eat very, very little plant food. Mm -hmm. Um, that is with the caveat of I'm almost always eating a fermented vegetable or two. Okay. I I'm Russian and I grew up eating fermented vegetables. And when I figured all this stuff out and I realized how important fermented foods are, I just eat it all the time. I would you say make it yourself. I'm just, I buy it. No, okay. I, I have, uh, there's like, you know, there's great all natural um, sauerkraut and mm -hmm. pickles and I eat a ton of olives. Um, I go to the Russian store uh, mm. from time to time. And I'll stock up on all sorts of weird fermented things like, um, 
like watermelon, which is a fun thing that most people haven't tried. Pickled Pattisons are super fun, which is this kind of little squash. Um, Hmm. Pickled tomatoes, if you ever tried those. Uh, Anyway, it's just some fun ideas. But but, but for the most part, it's like a lot of pickles, olives, and sauerkraut. And then kimchi when my fiance will let me have it in my fridge because it's stinky. So, so that's really it. And if I'm not feeling well, I'll make sure to not fast. So when you're, when you're feeling ill or when you like need a little more energy, that's not a time to fast, Mm -hmm. but that's also not a time to eat crappy carbs. So I'll, I'll have like a lot of protein and healthy fat and I'll increase my food intake when I need more juice. Um, and then as far as like morning routine, um, I'm pretty busy guy, but I, I like to spend the first half hour to hour of my day, depending on how busy I am playing with my dog mm-hmm. and hanging out with my girl. And we try to like spend some time in the backyard and, you know, breathe. And first thing I do is I drink water, um, water mm-hmm. every day. First do you, thing. Do you add salt to it? Sea salt or anything? Or you know, that? I do. I do sometimes not first thing in the morning. I, mm-hmm. I teach people to do that, but I, I'm so liberal with my salt intake in general that I think I get plenty of salt. I take I take my supplements often in the morning. Um, I'm big on supplementation. Um, I take a mag complete. So it's a, it's multiple magnesium salts. Um, I often will take it two times. I'll take it before bed and I'll take it in the morning. Um, I take, uh, I add real salt, either Redmond's real salt or like a Himalayan sea salt into my water. And that's what I cook with. Um, I take a vitamin D, D3, K2 supplement, mm-hmm. five to 10,000 units, just depending on how much sun exposure I'm getting. If I spend all day in the sun, I skip that. So again, not mindlessly taking pills, but mm-hmm. thinking about what, I'm, what I actually need. Right. Um, if I'm not eating a ton of omega-3 fatty uh, rich foods, which is rare, but if, you know, sometimes I'm like not having the best meat, whatever, you know, like you have different stuff. So then I'll throw in some fish oil. Um, uh, I have some great CBD anti-inflammatory stuff that I take. Uh, I like this, um, this uh, company life pack organics makes like a green tea extract, turmeric, CBD, vitamin C supplement. And I love it because it kind of gives me a lot of anti-inflammatory components. And especially when I'm working out, I really feel like it helps me heal up. Um, so that's my morning. What type of workouts? Yeah. What I'm curious, um, what type of workouts do you do? Um, so I try to do high intensity interval training. What what is the, that's a generic term though. People, you know, hear that a lot. I do a lot of kettlebells. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to lift a lot to be buff because I really liked the aesthetic. I got there and then I was like, okay, now what, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I started running. I really love running. I really love being outside and running in the sun. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll run, you know, I don't know that I recommend running for everyone. It's pretty tough on the body, but for me, I can run three to five miles and feel awesome. And it doesn't really break me down. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to run like longer six, seven, eight miles. And I found that I was really getting some chronic like joint stuff. And despite everything I would do, I'd stretch. I'd, I'd, it didn't matter. Right. My, my hips and my knees would start hurting. So I found my sweet spot that three to four miles. And I try to do that three or four times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll do yoga when I can yoga. Mm-hmm. I was doing a ton of hot yoga right before the pandemic. All of the studios are now not even like closed there. They don't exist anymore, yeah, which is same. devastating. Yeah. And I'm sorry, sitting in your living room and doing hot yoga is not the same. Uh, I like the camaraderie. I was it. the same way I did. Yeah. I was a big hot yoga. I loved it. And 
Yeah. It's life changing. Yeah. I'll do now I'll do it first thing. Well, I was for a while doing it first thing in the morning, not hot yoga, but you know, you can sort of build your own internal heat and it's, yeah, that, it's definitely better than nothing, but yeah, I, I miss the studio and, and doing that, just getting up and moving. Um, especially if you're really active. I mean, I'm a big golfer, so like hips are, yeah. <laughs> you know, got to keep those mobile. Um, who, uh, wait, go ahead. We're going to say, Oh no, I was just, the last thing I was going to say is yeah. I try to play stuff with my friends as often okay. as I can. I am not like a great athlete, um, right. but <laughs> I could get out there and shoot the ball. I could get out there and swing the racket. I'll get on my rollerblades. I'll get on my bike. I don't care. Just do stuff. I find that the more stuff you do with people, the better. And I'm not one of these people that's telling people to stay home and not see their friends. I think that's a bad recommendation for the record. Uh, I don't, I used, I was a little cautious saying that before. I'm pretty confident that the recommendations that they're giving for COVID-19 are not working. I think it's obvious and to continue to give the same recommendations when they're not working is ridiculous. It's just like the nutrition paradigm. Hey, here's a bad recommendation. Oh, it's not working. Well, it's your fault, not our fault. No, it's not our fault. It's, it's not people's fault. What's happening is there's bad recommendations and um, very, very myopic, short-sighted stuff going on. So, you know, if you're listening to this, go out and be thoughtful, but right. go outside and do something physical, play with your dog, play some tennis, go for a jog. If you got those rollerblades from the 1990s, go put them back on. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that. I thought about getting back into rollerblading. I really did. I looked into buying them. I can't believe how much like more technology is in rollerblades than there was like yeah. 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm not it's fun. I, bu- I bought these off-road ones. They're like, um, instead of four little wheels or yeah. yeah, I used to have like aggressive wheels, like the little wheels to do tricks. Oh, okay. I now have three giant wheels off-road. and I could roll blade <laughs> on anything and I go super fast and I just wear a helmet and it's super fun. Yeah, no, I, uh, <laughs> I might have to win it. Well, now the weather in Chicago is not for rollerblading, but maybe when it gets nice, um, I'll get back into that. Yeah. Um, okay, so then we've hit everything here, pretty much stress, sun, food, movement, sleep. You know, what, what is your thought of what, what's like, what would say maybe a couple strategies around sleep? Yeah, so what's funny with sleep is most people they come to me and I bring it up and they're like, sure, let's talk about it. No one's sleeping well, especially during the pandemic. It's a little challenging for people. Um, And I say the word sleep hygiene and they've never heard the term. So for people listening, it's a very commonly used term in medicine. um, And it's very, very simple. You can Google it, but it's simple things like your bedroom is for sleep and sex. It's a fun way to think about that. If you're going in there and even people that read in bed, it can be very challenging to then shut your mind down and sleep. Now, some people aren't real big readers and they lay down and they read like three pages and pass out because they're not really avid readers and the book is just calming them down and knocking them out. Fine. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you're a reader like I am and you know, you get engaged and stimulated we can now replicate, we can uh, also just use the word TV instead of the book. Mm-hmm. You're not going to fall asleep because your brain is in this like activated entertainment mode. Right. So I always just try to teach people that if you can, obviously everyone has different, you know, 
situations, but if you can make your bedroom a place where your, your, your body and your mind know that it's, you're going there to sleep, then you're going to sleep better. Don't eat in bed. Don't play games in bed. Maybe you could play in the morning. You can wrestle a little. And I know that's a fun like morning routine that some people do with their partners. But my point is, is you shouldn't make, you know, your bedroom a place of entertainment. It should be a place of sleep and solitude and right. rest. Right. Like um, no cell phones in the bed. Yeah. Right. yeah. But that's like the common, st- I, you know, I, I just... I like the idea of sleep hygiene as a concept that should be used. So right now we know people aren't sleeping well. People are having weird dreams. They're stuck at home. You know, their whole life has been turned upside down. I've never heard a single news article talk about, hey, what can you do for, to protect yourself from COVID? Hey, well, you can build your immune system by making sure you're sleeping well. Sleep hygiene is really simple and basic. And here's some basic concept. Never, never. And I challenge anyone listening to this to find one sleep hygiene commentary that talks about sleep boosting your immune system. This is common sense. This is well known. This is well researched. We don't talk about it. So I think that rather than having some hack like blue blockers or whatever like trick, you don't need that. You just need the simple concept of respect your sleep. If you're a guy, if you're a person who thinks that you're going to sleep when you die, you're going to die sooner and you're going to get dementia sooner. That's what the evidence is showing. People that don't sleep do badly when they're older. It catches up to you. So I think that just like I want people to be thoughtful about the food they put in their body and not just jump on a paradigm or some bandwagon or some guru, um, learn about it, learn from your gurus, learn from the organizations that are out there promoting stuff. Do the same thing with sleep, you know? Don't just be a guru for meditation. Figure out what really manages your stress. Maybe meditation's not great for you. Maybe you need a different kind of meditation. I know I'm jumping around, but it's because all the concepts that we're talking about today are big picture approach to life. And you don't need to have a, like a, you don't need to buy a product. You don't need to, a, a, become member of this tribe or that, which although can be very helpful. And again, Sapien tribe is to support you. And, and there's many other organizations. Everything we just talked about is simple, free, mm-hmm. and you just need to be convinced that it will help change your life. And if you just chip away at every one of those little things, just every day, what can I tweak here? What can I tweak there to include in my life? You'll get healthier. Yeah. And it's for sure. There's, you, there's no question here. It's not, I don't need it, you know, to do a study. This is simple. Yeah, no, that's great. And um, I'll pose this question because I pose this to a, a lot of the guests that I have on is what would you say? And we've probably touched on it or, or, already, but if, if an individual middle-aged individual is looking to get their body back or even their mind back to what it once was when they were in their twenties, uh, it's a common question. What, what, what one tip would you give them? Well, other than eat a sapien diet and lifestyle, get rid of the crappy food and start eating nutrient dense, high protein, high healthy fat foods. Other than that, which is, I think the core recommendation that we're all talking about in this space, it would be to activate your mind and body. Hmm. So going back to your morning routine, I think if I was in my middle age and I was struggling, the first thing I would do is wake up every day, drink a large cup of water, go outside for a long walk. Uh, get my son, put sunbathe, um, and then, and maybe 
simultaneously listen to a very stimulating podcast because you're, you got to use your brain and you have to learn something new to be excited for the world and to excited for each day. I think if you created that kind of morning routine, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, where you were getting your movement, getting your sun, mm -hmm. getting your brain stimulated and activated, you would decrease your stress levels, increase your healthy hormone production, increase your vitamin D production, get your body moving, and you would set yourself up for a successful day. It would be much easier to fast in the morning and get do your intermittent fasting window. Mm -hmm. If you did that, it would be much easier to listen to another podcast or act on something that you learned during that walk because you would be stimulated and excited. And I think that the idea that a human being wakes up and goes to the kitchen to eat is, is, is handicapping them. You wake up, open your eyes, get hydrated and go do something physical mm -hmm. go do something intellectual. Okay. So say you're in your middle age and you have some serious physical limitations. Fine. Do something intellectual like develop, you know, read something really powerful, watch something really powerful. If you can't read, learn something and then challenge yourself to do something new from what you just learned. Very, very simple. It's what we expect our children to do. <laughs> yeah, I think do. You, you, you lose touch into that. I actually, speaking about working the brain, I actually took up piano. Um, nice. Yeah. And it's been great. Learning something as an adult is definitely a, a different experience than when you're a kid. Cause a lot of times when you're a kid, someone just forces you to go to piano lessons and then you don't sort of see the progress, but I've been doing it now for over five years. And, um, it's cool to sort of see how you progress, um, and just get better and better at it. And, uh, and you just, I think you just appreciate it more. So like you said, learning an instrument, painting, whatever. I mean, I, I painting, painting yeah i mean 15 minutes a day right like it's it's those simple little things and they add up over time there's a million reasons not to do something the only reason you need to do something is that you want to be better than that you were the day before right. and so i think a lot of people you know i'm a musician you can see in the background there mm -hmm. I, I got a bunch of instruments and stuff and cool. you know if, when i was young i was always about like trying to be as good as this person or as good as that person and now i'm just about like entertaining myself right. and i find that i make more beautiful music and and people like it more when i do play because i'm doing it for myself so something that maybe is a little bit interesting or different than what i've talked about on other podcasts is I, when I was really young and I was figuring out my, my path, I, I was always raging against the machine. I was always like doing my own thing. And, I, and, and it continues to this day. I'm, I'm always like finding my own path. Mm -hmm. um, I read Ayn Rand's books, uh, The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. Some of your listeners, I'm sure, will remember it. And, and a lot of her stuff has been misinterpreted as sort of like, you know, really like, like like conservative or something like that, but it's not. So what she taught me was that it is the idea of individualism. If you do something, anything that you're meant to do, that you want to do for yourself to the best of your abilities, mm -hmm. that is how you will best serve the rest of the world, your mm -hmm. family, the people around you. Um, I really don't like the idea that I am a doctor to, to serve my community. It's not true. I'm a doctor because it makes me feel good to help people. Right. I feel awesome when my patient comes back and they're crushing it and they're mm -hmm. losing weight and they're getting off drugs. I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for me because it makes me feel good. 
-hmm. when I was in the hospital and people would come in and I would go through the hospital driven protocol of healing them. It did not feel as good. Mm -hmm. It was fine. I'm happy to like serve my role, right? Like I had a role in the hospital and I did my thing and sometimes it would help people and sometimes it wouldn't, but it didn't really matter because I was just doing what I was like trained to do and it was fine, but I never felt that sense of like real fulfillment and purpose. Yeah. Being of service, being of service does not just mean you're doing things for other people. It means you are serving people by doing the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And so if that means playing piano, because you connect like with your, uh, you know, inner child, your artistic side. Yeah. 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 Your inner child, your artistic side, your spirituality. And then you're able to go and do a podcast and be really thoughtful and, tempered because you're like in a better mental space, then that's what it means. Um, but I think that people, and, and that's why I love America. Uh, I'm a Russian immigrant. I came from a communist world. Uh, my parents never let me forget that. So, you know, I'm very, very proud of the way we operate in America. And I think that, you know, this idea that, you know, you have to do something for someone else is nonsense. That's not how the human brain is programmed your program to survive on your own and in your small group. And if you can, you know, we now live in a globalized world, but if you can behave from that core space, if you can drive your day-to-day behaviors from like, I want to do the best for me. Mm -hmm. I want to make me happy and make me the best. Then I do believe that people are inherently good and loving and that, that momentum will help you take care of your loved ones, take, be the best neighbor, be nice to someone in a grocery store, right? Like if you're happy at home and you're doing the things you need to do to have a good mental space, then when you go to the grocery store and it sucks going to the grocery store right now, we have masks, everyone's scared. It's like not a good vibe, but I'm telling you just being calm and smiling and being courteous at people, that's how you can benefit someone else. And I think that that doesn't come from being like, I have to be nice. I have to be nice. Oh my God, I have to be nice. No, it comes from like, I am happy. I am content. I am satisfied. And now I can project that energy onto everyone around me. Well said, well said. Um, There's your water. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Love it. Um, Well, wow. We've hit on pretty much everything uh, sleep, stress, sun, food, movement, intermittent fasting, morning routines, uh, daily eating habits, and um, even the future of medicine. So hopefully, hopefully more podcasts like this will come out and talk about how medicine should change and it'll benefit everybody in the long haul. Um, where, where would you say the best? Because honestly, if you were in Chicago, I'd go, I'd go to your uh, practice. I'd go to you. Evolve. I, uh, I've actually, I've gone to a few um, let's just say like holistic preventive care places. Um, haven't quite found one that I, that I'm quite getting behind, but, um, you know, what's the best place for people to find you? Yeah. So I I do telemedicine visits. Um, it's, you know, if people really want to do a consultation with me, they can literally book from anywhere in the world. Yeah. My EHR will send a zoom link, just like the zoom link you sent me for this. And we can talk, can't do it really like for health insurance under health insurance. Cause that's a state to state. I have to be like medically licensed everywhere, but I can give people advice. And, and a lot of what I'm doing isn't per se medical, right? Like I can't manage your blood pressure meds from, 
you know, from California, but I could talk to you about this stuff. So that that's one way. Right. Um, but for sure, I'm on Instagram uh, at drgaryevolve. I'm really available there. I, that's kind of my number one platform. I, it's hard for me to jump around on different platforms. And yeah, I hear um, that. that's kind of where we're at. Um, but also Sapien Tribe is a great way if you really want to be involved and you're not here, you can join the tribe and we do Zoom, private Zoom calls with the group. Uh, a few times a month. Brian's a big part of that. I'm a big part of that. We have a couple health coaches that participate. Um, That's cool. Sapien.org is our website. We're, we're working on food lies. Um, Brian's spending all of his energy on it. That, that movie's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I would say the Sapien podcast is a great place. It's similar to your podcast. It's about health and wellness. And, um, you know, we have some great guests and we just launched season two. Um, uh, Brian's podcast is, you know, a lot of what I've learned comes from the peak human podcast and all of the amazing scientists from all around the world. And God, that, what, what he put together at that podcast sh- should really be the core of a curriculum for doctors. That's mm-hmm. really what that should be. Um, yeah. And, um, just reach out to me on Instagram. I think that's best. I'm also on Facebook now as a, as a doctor, but, um, more like just to get well, my name out there. <laughs> yeah. And I'll put all, all these um, links in the show notes so people can, can find you and reach out to you. Cause yeah, like telemedicine, that's a good route for a lot of people, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's awesome. I think right now I'm still like able to use it without any restrictions. I want, I'm wondering if they reinitiate, you know, there's a lot of restrictions on telemedicine before COVID mm. COVID. One of the silver linings is it, it made the insurance companies have to say, Hey, we're going to pay for telemedicine. Right. So that was great. And I was ready to launch that. I launched that immediate, like literally February. Yeah. Uh, it was integrated <laughs> in, my, in my system. I was ready to go. I just had to click a button and pay a little extra and that's fine. But right. um yeah, tell, I've had a lot of folks reach out to me. And then um, some folks, I, it's really, right now it's a weird time, but people will travel to LA as a trip because mm. it's a fun trip. Um, and then they'll come and book an appointment and spend an hour with me and, and we'll go through a lot of this stuff. So okay. I'm available, everyone. I, <laughs> I love to talk. I love to help people. I think everyone needs a little bit of different guidance. And, and I think that's what I'm able to provide. And, and Yeah, um, well, it's refreshing, so. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's I awesome appreciate to be. you coming on the show. And um, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine. And I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.